0: Collect our offering for the work of our church. We're going to do two offerings one for um, the work of new life, uh, and then uh, Jeremy and Tina will speak about um, their uh, upcoming mission, and uh, then we will collect an offering for them and and offer some ways to connect to them as well. Uh, So, for the work of our church, we'll collect offering. I just want to thank you for your continued support and uh, for uh, all of the wonderful things we've been able to do. We did have a nice week. Um, I, I only heard part of what Jeff was saying but uh, we did we were able to connect with four families and help them uh, through the paper angel closet this week uh, this coming week we have a young pair of siblings I think 16 and 17 year old uh, who are homeless who we will be um, connecting to and offering um, use of our paper angel closet too so that's on Monday uh, we will get them what they need so Uh, We want to continue to spread the word about that, um, spread uh, the connection about that, get people in your life connected to that, um, uh, allow just wonderful opportunities to happen because of that ministry, and and, uh, be open to other ways that we can can reach out to that homeless student community here in Winnebago and Boone County. Well, this time I want to welcome Jeremy and Tina Skinner. Thank you. And uh, they're going to talk a little bit about themselves and their mission. And so welcome. It's a pleasure to have both of you guys.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Mark. Plus one. uh, yeah, plus one. So uh, my name is Jeremy. This is my wife, Tina, and our beautiful daughter, Amelia. She is almost six months old now, so she's awesome. She's brought so much joy to our family and our lives, and she's wearing her little uh, Valentine's uh, sweater dress thing today. So, yeah, she's so cute. So, um, so hey, yeah, I always joke about this, but it's, it's so true. Hey, if, if you have no other reason to come to our table and say hello to us, just come by and see Amelia. That's totally fine. We don't mind at all. Um, but, no, uh, we are new missionaries to Indonesia, um, we always felt called to missions, but when we heard about the need in Indonesia, uh, it really just blew our minds um, what, what's going on there. And uh, what we want to do actually first is we want to share a video uh, just to give you a really good glimpse at what's going on in Indonesia. Uh, what we'll be doing is we'll be working with a family uh, there uh, who's been there for about six years. Uh, Jamie and Tasha Kemp are missionaries. They're actually from Naperville, which is, which is awesome. We were able to meet them before they went back for the term that they're in now, um, But uh, we will be working with them in a town called Jogjakarta, and we'll share a little bit more about that. But uh, this video is actually from Jamie Kemp, and so you'll hear from him, and you'll also hear from uh, another guy named Jeff Hartensveld. Uh, Jeff was a missionary in Indonesia for 23 years. So uh, you'll get a great glimpse of what's going on there. So go ahead and check out this video.
2: fourth largest country in the world. Uh, everybody seems to know about China, India, and the United States, but number four in population is Indonesia, with uh, a quarter of a billion people, 250 million people. And it's the largest Muslim country in the world, with over 200 million Muslims living here. The Gospel is not readily available here. The people are, are open and, and, and desirous of the gospel, of, of knowing the truth. It's just, no one's here to tell them.
3: Back during the 2004 tsunami, you know, million, uh, hundreds of thousands of people died. And along the northwest coast of Sumatra, um, you know, among the, the dead and the death toll and the destruction, uh, I'll tell my Christian friends, There were no churches that were destroyed in the tsunami and no Christians that died in the tsunami. And sometimes their response is, well, praise God, you know, God protected. And I said, well, there were no churches to be destroyed and there were no Christians to die because there were none there. And so uh, it kind of just gives you a picture into how lost and how unreached some of the parts of Indonesia are. is in this thing we have to realize that this is not what we're doing this is what god wants us to do and so um god creates divine appointments and opportunities and places where we can insert believers into communities and places and they can begin to then share the gospel with people we need more people to adopt unreached people groups it's almost insane for me to think that the five million banjar are only my responsibility. I think that some participation in the Great Commission, you know, even if you can't go, maybe it's as you choose to spend your missions dollars. I think everybody will, you know, participates financially on some level. Where are you participating? Are you looking for these strategic places? Even in prayer, are
2: you praying that this that this will come to completion? Serving in Indonesia is an everyday missions trip, because no matter who we meet or who we talk with, man, it's an opportunity to share Christ with them. And so I think that's what makes Indonesia most unique, is that the needs are all around us and what may seem like uh, great difficulties are actually our, our greatest opportunities.
3: the world, bring the gospel to every people. What could be more meaningful than participating in the very final command of the Lord Jesus Christ to his believers?
4: Uh, Jeremy and I have always known that we were called to be missionaries, but up until the last year or so We didn't know where we would end up. It was always kind of the unknown for us We didn't have a specific place where we knew that we would end up someday Um, But just like you heard Jeff said Jesus's last words to us to go into all the world Preach the gospel to every people and that's our heart. Our biggest passion is taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth Um, Indonesia, like you heard, is the fourth largest country in the world. It's the largest Muslim population. There are more Muslims in the country of Indonesia than the entire Middle East combined. Um, There are over, over 220 unreached people groups in Indonesia. And what that means is that there's about 150 million people there who will never meet a Christian. They will never walk into a church. And they will never hear about the gospel. They will never hear what Jesus did for them on the cross. And that's our heart. There's a quote that I think encompasses what we feel about missions and it says, why should anyone have the opportunity to hear the gospel once before everyone has had the chance? Or I, I messed that up. Why should anyone be able to hear the gospel twice before everyone has had the opportunity to hear it once? And so that that's just our heart.
1: Yeah, so so, um, what does this look like for us? You know, she, she mentioned our heart for unreached people groups. Um, for, for our first term, as I mentioned before, we'll be working with Jamie and Tasha Kemp, uh, missionaries that are already there, they're already established, they're in a town called Yogyakarta, and Yogyakarta is about 1.5 million people, and I call it a town, it's more of a city actually, there are cities in Indonesia, um, but there's about 1.5 million people in this city, and half a million of them are college students. So if you just imagine the, what, what, that, what, that, see what that's like. Um, these students have, have left their families. They're, they're in college. They're kind of in that rebellious stage a little bit. Um, but this is a great opportunity to come in with the truth of the gospel and have just great conversations and, and um, you know, tell them the truth about Christ. And uh, so for us, um, what we'll be doing is we'll be, we'll be uh, supporting that ministry there with Jamie and Tasha Kemp. Uh, we'll be jumping in. We'll be learning the culture, learning the language, um, and then also uh, building relationships. Ultimately, our goal is to be able to get the gospel into these unreached people groups, to these people that will otherwise never hear it. And so um, the the most amazing thing about what we get to do here with Jamie and Tasha is these students that we're connecting with, after they they graduate from college, they're going to be going home all over Indonesia. And so we're going to have relationships and connections all over Indonesia from these relationships that we build here. Um, And this will give us opportunities uh, to find who the Lord would bring in and train up as pastors to plant churches and to train up other Indonesians to, to, to be pastors and plant churches. And that's how we get the gospel to these people. You know, look at me, I can't just walk in and start preaching the gospel in, in Indonesia, right? And in these, among these unreached people groups. So um, that's really the work that God has called us to do. Um, Romans ten fourteen and 15 says, how will they believe on whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher and how will they preach unless they are sent? Um, God has called us to go to Indonesia um, you heard Jeff kind of mention, we're all, we're all called to be a part of the Great Commission in some respect, right? You know, we're called to go, but, but we have to be sent. And so, you know, we believe um, that, that those that support us are just as much a part of our ministry as we are. You know, we, we say our ministry, but it's God's ministry. And we believe that, that when you give and when you support, you help to send us to Indonesia. You are just as, as much a part of fulfilling that Great Commission as we are. Um, our biggest need right now, I want to share, is, is monthly commitments. So before we can go to Indonesia, uh, we have to be fully funded. We have to have our full budget, all of our ministry expenses covered. Um, and so our, our, uh, our request to you today is, is to, you know, maybe ask the Lord and say, hey, Lord, is this something that you're calling me to be a part of? Um, if, you, if you can, if you're able to, um, a monthly contribution, a monthly commitment for our two-year term, uh, will help to get us to Indonesia and also to sustain our work. So, so there's no interruption, Like, right? We don't, have to, we don't have to leave and we don't have to try to do more fundraising while we're there. We can just give all our energy and all of our hearts to uh, sharing the gospel uh, with, with the lost. Um, um, so, so uh, yeah, if you'd like to make a monthly commitment, you can talk to us afterward um, at the table in the back. We'll, we'll be able to share kind of how, how that works and that process works. Uh, I, know, I know Pastor Mark has mentioned you guys will do a free will offering after this. And we, we want to say thank you so much. Uh, for helping to send us to Indonesia. If you can't partner with us monthly, anything that you can do, um, really, it, it, it makes a huge difference, um, um, more than you know. And, and, and on top of that, your prayers. We need your prayers. Um, I've, we, I've heard, I heard missionaries say that to me my whole life growing up, and I always thought, oh, you really just want my money. No, I have a little five-month-old girl here, almost six months old, and we're going to Indonesia. What are we doing, right? Uh, so we covet your prayers. We really do. Your prayers can change the world, and we believe that. Um, so we just want to say thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to share with you guys today. Hopefully, we've opened your eyes a little bit to what's going on around the world and um, if you're able to support us thank you so so much uh, for helping to send us to Indonesia God bless you guys
0: thank you. Jesus said go and make disciples of all nations not just the United States and it's hard to believe that after 2,000 years we have not covered the ground but we haven't um and and i can certainly testify that indonesia is one of those places we have um struggled even as a denomination the united methodist church um to get missionaries into and to make an impact into Um, how many of you actually know where indonesia is okay a couple don't have you don't have to be embarrassed but that's something to google tonight um and figure out it is the fourth largest country in our world and, and just an untapped Uh, well of people who have not heard the gospel and we've talked about many times that you cannot come to Jesus Christ by yourself sitting in a cave in isolation you have to hear the story as the uh, Apostle Paul said so I encourage you we're going to take an offering um, just a free will offering uh, for Jeremy and Tina and um, their mission work and and their uh, future I encourage you to keep them in your prayers uh, all through this year Um, to uh, talk to them after, they're gonna be here all night, uh, to talk to them during Taste of New Life, to get to know them a little bit more and consider supporting them on a regular basis. Uh, Last year, our our global ministry was to help fund uh, $70 million to Imagine No Malaria, to end malaria in the uh, Southwest uh, part of Africa. Uh, We have really raised that goal for Imagine No Malaria, we're really close, Uh, and and the work there um, this year Uh, being able to offer some different opportunities and mission uh, around the world is important to me and important to the life of our church. So uh, consider helping uh, them as our mission focus continues to grow in our community and around our world. Um, So let's have a word of prayer as we transition now. Let us pray. Lord, we invite you to this space, to this time, We just ask that you send your spirit into our hearts, that you open us to hear your word. We're thankful for uh, the testimony that we just heard and the opportunity of your people in Indonesia. We ask that you just bless them and allow them to hear this word too. Be with us now in this time and place that we may truly come to understand the first of seven signs. That we understand how you are working miracles in our life today. That we can go out and share that good news with all we need. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you to New Life. I'm Mark, if you didn't know that. And we're going to welcome all of you who are, yes, we will transition the children. Thank you, Jamie and Whitney, for uh, keeping me honest uh, to the children's experience at this time. Uh, Made sure they wanted to hear um, the sooner's testimony. I want to welcome all of those joining us online and through our podcast. Uh, make sure if you miss any of these weeks, you're welcome to uh, be part of that. So we're starting our Lenten study, although Lent is not for another few days. Ash Wednesday is on Wednesday. Um, so we're starting our Lenten study a little early because we're going to be looking at the seven miracles or signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. And so to do that, we needed how many weeks? How many weeks is Lent? There you go. So that's why we're doing it early. And we're starting, of course, with miracle number one. Now this week, um, I don't know, uh, I, I try to keep up on lottery news. I, I don't know why. I worked at a, a truck stop for a, a long time. Some of you know that. And I just sell lottery tickets. So it became interesting to me not to play, but just to kind of see how, how it worked. And, of course, this week, Powerball was over half a billion dollars, right? Half a billion dollars. And I've talked before about driving into the city and seeing those signs and then just wondering what it would be like to win that kind of money. And my wife reminds me that you have to play those games to win them. But one of my fascinations with that thing is there's a miraculous element to it. Three people won that 500 million dollar pot this week three people now the probability the chance to win the powerball is astronomically small the chance for three people how, how do you go weeks and months with no one winning and then three people all of a sudden win when the pot becomes so big it's a miracle isn't it we talk about we'll get there don't jump ahead of the sermon. Praise family. We talk about a lot of things in miraculous ways. The miracle of life. Life is a miracle. If you think about the number of people on the planet, the billions of people on the planet, that any two people got together, and then if we talk about on a, on a, a, a cell level, all of the eggs and sperm that each two of those people have available, that each one of us comprises not only of two people, but the cellular component is miraculous. The, the reality that each one of us is sitting here tonight is miraculous. But it's really all about probability winning the lottery and, and human life. It's really all about probability. That one sperm, that one egg, those six numbers... I'm not very good with that. I think six numbers. It's all about probability. It's chance. And the smaller the chance, the more miraculous it seems. But it's still a chance. It's still based in the laws of reality. So we see things. And we talk about things that are wonderful and even predictable, like the sun setting or, or thinking about the fact that the earth is spinning thousands of miles an hour right now and we're all just standing around all of those things seem miraculous, but they are within the bounds of the natural laws. They are explainable. The difference between probability and miracles is miracles are not. There's no way to explain them. They are miraculous. And so as we think over the next seven weeks about miracles, I want to move away from how we talk about miracles. Because yes, A beautiful sunrise, that's a beautiful miracle. And human life is a beautiful miracle. But let's not dampen what a miracle is. And if we're going to dig into the Gospel of John, like we've already been doing, right, um, for the last few weeks, but if we're going to really dig into the Gospel of John for the next seven weeks and look at these seven signs, we cannot dim the power and the nature of the miracle. So let's start with miracle number one. On the third day, this is John chapter 2. You have something to add? Youngest child? Okay. John chapter 2, first verse. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also invited with his disciples. When the wine failed, when it ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what do you have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I just need to stop. I love that part. We're not going to go into great detail about that today, although there's a hundred sermons in here. I love that little thing. There's a lot going on here for Mary. I don't want to take away from that, even though we're not focusing on it today. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. They filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out. Take it to the steward of the feast. So they did. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. And did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to the bridegroom, every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the best until now. This is the first of the signs. Of Jesus Christ, there's a lot going on there. Now we see on the spectrum of, of miracles, there's seven miracles in the Gospel of John. Of course, throughout the Gospels, there's dozens of miracles, and uh, the Gospel of John even ends with saying that there's more to be counted that we didn't record. But John sets up this uh, wonderful lineation of seven miracles, and it seems that they go from easy to difficult. Easy being turning water to wine, difficult being raising Lazarus from the dead. That will be our seventh miracle. Remember, we're talking about God. And for God, there's no degree of difficulty. Turning water into wine is just as easy or difficult as raising someone from the dead. So each one of these miracles is exceptionally important. And this one is so often overlooked, but it is the first. And it has something very important, not only to tell people in the day, but to teach us. So we need to start with what's happening in the story. And to do that, we need to know a little bit more about weddings in the ancient Near East. Wedding celebrations were a wondrous event. They are sometimes today. Depends. I've been to some good ones and some bad ones. But in a land and a time where poverty ruled, a wedding celebration was a time of joy. A time of celebration. And the wedding celebration lasted an entire week. And during that week, the bridegroom and the bride were treated as a king and queen. And whatever they said went It was a wonderful, wonderful time, and so people came from all over and celebrated. But, for the bride and the groom, things had to go right. This was their one opportunity to show their community, their family and friends, that they knew how to throw a good party. And if things didn't go right, it did not bode well for their standing, their status, or their future. Wine running out was a big deal a big, big deal. In the Jewish tradition, the rabbinic tradition, it is quoted that wine is the essence of joy. Now think about that. In the ancient Near East, they did not drink. Drunkenness was not acceptable, believe me, in that time. But they didn't drink necessarily to get drunk. They drank, and they drank wine to add flavor and life to perhaps dull and and sometimes dangerously unhealthy water supplies. They did not live with a great abundance of wells back then. And so wine added flavor and life to things. They mixed generally when they drank wine, they mixed two parts wine to three parts water. So it took a lot to get drunk in the first place. But it added that sense and that joy. And so for the wine to run out meant the joy of the celebration had run dry and the joy of the marriage, even before it had really started, was running dry. Did you hear the the really great thing about this miracle already? The miracles we're going to talk about, Jesus healing the blind. Jesus multiplying loaves and fish. Jesus walking on water. Jesus raising a man from the dead. This miracle, this miracle was about saving face. That's important. Something that doesn't seem important to us that we need to just save face, that we need to have a a good impression for other people. Jesus was willing to perform a miracle to help the bride and the bridegroom save face. We need to think about what Jesus is willing to do for us. But think about yourself in this picture as the bride or the bridegroom. The wine had run out. Have you ever been in the midst of a celebration and and maybe not just a a wedding although i could tell you stories about weddings um but just life a good time in your life a a good season and then something unexpected happens like the wine runs out and the joy that you were experiencing suddenly runs dry i think we could all kind of process maybe a time like that I, i i've spent the 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 first part of this week uh all of Sunday night, and then all of Monday, and all of Tuesday, um, interviewing potential candidates for ordination, uh, potential deacons and elders in the United Methodist Church, on their final stops towards what we call commissioning, or probationary, or provisional membership, and then full ordination. And so I I had to interview, uh, well, I I only interviewed eight, but uh, 32 total we had to process, go through, meet with, read all their paperwork, meet with them one-on-one and so I was spending a lot of time in the last few weeks kind of going over that process looking at that theology watching sermons uh, this and that and it got me thinking about my process and and I remember my call to ministry I've talked about starting when I was 20 and then I graduated college that was my junior year of college I graduated college and I was really excited and And I went up to the district board. This is, I serve on the conference board, so the district board is the smaller body. And I went up to be certified. So there are three basic steps in our ordination process, certification, commissioning, and ordination. And I went up to be certified, and and I knew I was young. I'd just gotten out of college, and I knew the district superintendent had a church for me. And so I went up to the board, and, and people generally just got passed by at this level of the board so I went in and I was in my early 20s and all excited and um, all a lot of things. And I was rejected. I, w- I was not recommended for certification. I was not certified at that time in my life. And that really hurt because I was kind of on this kick for being called into ministry and going full force and wanting to be, you know, I, I took a year off from college before I went for certification just to serve in the local church setting to learn. Uh, you know kind of what how things were and I was ready. I was ready to serve and and I didn't get that opportunity So I was kind of heartbroken I was experiencing so much joy from the time I had accepted Jesus christ as my lord and savior to the time that I had gone into that room with that group of people On the Decalb district not naming any names no, That's my home district. I love all those people And, and that joy kind of ran out And it was tough. I started seminary, kind of unsure whether I was being called or not. I went and worked as a chaplain for six months, and I worked at my home church for for a year before I was eventually certified and then appointed to Maple Park. So I bet you can think of those times, those opportunities, those seasons even, when everything is going so well and then suddenly everything just stops everything just dries up the wine is gone it fails I love that I know some people were that language uh, was a little strange but I kind of like that that language that the wine fails how many times does joy fail in our seasons and so we go back to that wedding and this is what Jesus does and it's wonderful he helps them save face but he does so much more than that jesus takes after this little exchange with his mother which i could that's about 30 40 minutes i could go into just that exchange it's wonderful and, and we'll talk about that at forum. i think this week too probably but six basins six jars 30 40 gallons you can imagine these are big stone jars it, it, these these were filled with water for purification ritual uh, Jewish purification rituals when you came into the house you had your feet washed remember it's a sandy desert place people wore sandals needed to have your feet washed before you ate you had to wash your hands that's a good practice today right um, a really good practice 2,000 years ago and I won't go into why but you can google that this week if you want to learn it's fairly disgusting but yes so, so here, here's these six jars and and John does not throw in things just because he, he's feeling, you know, funny. Oh, well, I guess there was six there. Six is an interesting number, isn't it? In, in Jewish tradition, seven means complete. It means whole. It means perfect. Six means incomplete. Six is the number for humanity. Six, six, six means some other things, right? And that's where that comes from. So Jesus takes these six jars used for purification of water, fills them to the brim so nothing else can happen. There's nothing else going in there but water. And then he says, draw some out. And He takes it to the steward. And there's wine. And not only is there wine, but there's the best wine. Great wine. Now molecularly, there's some cool things happening here. The molecular process of uh, fermentation, which usually takes years, happened in a second in the sight of God. I think Mark Batterson says, In the face of Jesus, water blushed. I like that. So there's wine. And not just a little bit of wine. Remember, there needed to be enough wine to keep the party going, right? Now, when you mix two parts wine to three parts water, thirty gallons of wine, it's a lot of wine. I think I did the math this week just for fun. I like to do math, and some people do. Thirty gallons. if you if you assume every jar had thirty gallons, and you you kind of do the math, which I won't go through tonight, but uh, you can test me on it later. Jesus created the opportunity for about 3,800 glasses of wine. That's a good six-ounce glass of wine, for those of you who are wine drinkers. 3,800 glasses of wine. So Jesus did not just make enough wine for the party to continue. Jesus made enough wine so that it would not run out. Everyone could have their full, and then some. Jesus took an opportunity where joy had run out and allowed it to come full circle. But this isn't just about Jesus doing something that's impossible, and it is, this is the impossibility of it. To turn water instantly into delicious wine is impossible. We do not have the molecular science to make fermentation have, happen instantaneously. Jesus was able to make that process happen instantaneously. That is the miracle. But what was this miracle teaching us? It was certainly teaching us that Jesus is willing to come into the seasons of our life and bring back joy. Not just any joy, but joy that is filled with grace that will never ever end. Unending. Cups running over. Imagine 3,800 glasses of wine. That's a that's one of those big champagne chandeliers. That would be a lot. If you had 3,800, I don't know how big that would be. I didn't do the math for that. Pretty big. Unending joy. Cup of grace overflowing. If Jesus can turn water into wine, what can Jesus do in your life? If Jesus can turn water, and look online sometime. I didn't have time to write it all out, because i'm not a chemist uh but look at the 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 chemical process of fermentation even is super complex if jesus can do that make water into wine what can jesus do in your life how can jesus change you when when i was stopped when when in my season of joy the joy ran against a wall I could have given up. I could have kind of fallen down, but I I just really devoted myself to prayer and to being connected with God through Scripture and through other people and through the church and worship. And I went to seminary and I went to work as a chaplain and then I worked at my home church and then I was appointed. And I was able to experience a lot of joy and I don't know... What would have happened, because I don't think I was ready in that moment to go into ministry, but I know because I waited and I did all of those things, then I was appointed to Maple Park. And if I wasn't appointed to Maple Park, I would have never met my wife. And if I hadn't met my wife, we would have never moved here. She would have never started working at Rafter Memorial. We would have never started a new life. We would have never met our children. A lot of things happen in seasons where joy seems to run out because Christ is willing to take that and make it something new. And maybe Christ would have done good things at that other direction, but God was able to take my no and turn it into a lot of yeses. So I think there's a lesson here for us tonight that whatever we are, if if we're plain, if we're dull, if we're just water, even if we're contaminated, because let's face it, 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, not all the water was fresh water. And if God was able to take dull, plain, even contaminated water and make it something flavorful and beautiful, something that represented joy, I think God can take our lives and do a whole lot with it. I think Jesus can do something in our lives that makes it a lot better. He can make us people of new life. We say that for a reason. But we need to end tonight realizing that this was a sign, not just a miracle. Jesus was pointing to something else. He was pointing to another time when he would be gathered around a table with his disciples and he would take a cup of wine. And in that moment, he would make a cup of wine. An unending font of grace. Jesus turned water into wine, but at the Last Supper, Jesus turned wine into never ending grace. And that grace continues to the cross. And wine became blood, and blood became the salvation of all people. And so the wine at that wedding points to the blood. On the cross and the blood of Jesus' death and sacrifice. And through that we are able to be made whole. We are able to be made new. So that is the first of the signs, but my by all means not the least and not the most unimportant. So as we continue, I encourage you to see where the opportunities are for Jesus to, Turn you into something new, and where the opportunity is for you to experience that joy. Amen. We will be meeting on Tuesday at Sherland at 10 a.m., and then Wednesday night at 6 here uh, for follow up discussion on this. Uh, the discussion will lead into a lot of different areas that certainly I didn't focus on tonight. Um, So if you want to come 6 p.m. here on Wednesday night for form, or if you want to come uh, Tuesday morning, 10 a.m., Sherland, and that will be a continued study into this passage uh, with some nice video from the Holy Land uh, and some good teaching there. So let's join in a time of prayer. Uh, We want to pray for all of those who cannot be with us tonight, all of those who are on our hearts. Obviously, those people who are struggling and suffering. And then after our time of prayer, we will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather in your name. We ask and we just ask that you come into us in a new way. That you allow us to truly understand how we may become new people. That how we may become transformed by your death and resurrection Lord we ask that you be with all of those who cannot be with us tonight we pray for all of those who lead and serve in various ways Lord we pray for all those prayers that are on our hearts that we cannot share that we may not even be able to name we know your grace and your love and your healing comfort and compassion goes wherever we call it and we know you are already present in the lives of all of those who we love your grace is already waiting for us to interact with lord we just pray for our world we just uh send with with your full blessing uh jeremy and tina into Indonesia, that they may truly share your gospel. And we just ask that we continue to pray for them, continue to support them. We ask that you support each of us and give us opportunities that we may share your good news with people who may not have heard it here and across the globe. Allow us to share your message of new life and transformation in a new way in the people in our lives. Pray this in unity with your Spirit in your church. Amen. Here at New Life, we practice open table communion, which means you are welcome at this table if you are willing to turn towards God, love God, and love each other. We begin uh, and we affirm that open table because we use grape juice instead of wine, and we will be starting, this is just a test, but we will be starting to use exclusively gluten-free bread so that everyone is welcome. And as we come together, we generally come with an act of confession, if we can bring that up, just centering ourselves so that we can truly come to Christ with new hearts, and allow this grace to work within us. Recognizing that we all sin and are at the mercy of God, we take this time to confess our sins and be assured of the forgiveness that is available to us all through Christ Jesus. Father, you love us, yet we find it hard to love ourselves. You sent your son Jesus to prove your love to us, and we fail to love one another. Forgive us for all we have thought, done, and said forgive what we have failed to do or say, renew us to new life in your kingdom. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ into our world to live and die and to be risen so that we could be children of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. When we gather together, we do so in an act of Eucharist which means thanksgiving. We give thanks to God who created the heavens and the earth, who created each one of us, and who wants to have a relationship with us. We gather around a table which represents a communion, not just of the people here, but of all Christian brothers and sisters across the globe, of all who have ever lived and said Jesus Christ is Lord, and all who will, hopefully including many young and old people in Indonesia, who will one day proclaim Jesus Christ is their Lord. And so we join in that great cloud of witnesses around this common table. We also remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread like this, and he broke it and giving it to his disciples, he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took wine like this, and he lifted it high and he gave thanks to God and giving it to his disciples he said drink from this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me we remember not only this act but ultimately the mystery of this sacrament the mystery of how simple elements the mystery of how water could be changed to wine, the mystery of how bread and wine could be changed into body and blood. Although we don't believe that it literally transforms here, we believe that it represents and spiritually embodies that. And we know that Jesus instituted it in a way that is mysterious and works within us in ways we don't understand. And so we just come together recognizing the mystery of our faith, that the sacrifice Jesus Christ was made transformed us forever and so repeat after me christ has died christ is risen christ will come again we recognize this means of grace this opportunity for love's god's action in our life so we pray this prayer lord pour out your holy spirit upon those gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine Truly make them be for us your body, that we may be your body, the church, redeemed by your blood for this world and the next. Make us one until you come again, and we feast at your heavenly banquet. And so we remember that this is not only a moment here in this time and space, but this moment represents a foretaste of what life will be like when Christ comes again. In final glory. And a new heaven and a new earth and a resurrected people will reign. And so I offer you, as we begin, the body of Christ broken for you. And I remind you, the blood of Christ was poured out for you so that you may be forgiven and experience new life today and every day. Amen table is set. I'll ask the servers to come forward.